When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This is episode 18, and it's a first because we're recording it on the day the podcast is actually going out. That's uh, Tuesday the 23rd of February. Reflecting, of course, on the Welsh Open, Ronnie O'Sullivan's incredible performance last week in Cardiff. Started with a bit of controversy over the maximum, ended in glory with him winning his 28th world ranking title. We're also going to be talking about some of his opinions about cutting the world championship down. And also uh, a piece that Michael McMullen, my guest on the podcast, has written for the new snooker scene about Stuart Bingham. Episode 18, a lot of people said this podcast wouldn't last. Yeah, they're notable by their absence, aren't they? And I'll remind you, Faulty Towers only did 12 episodes. We're, we're already up to 18. So that's and something. we're recording in a small English hotel as well. We are. We're yeah. at the Championship League. Quite right. Anyway, um, one thing that wasn't small was Ronnie O'Sullivan last week. Incredible performance. And uh, just no sign of decline from him, is there? He's just going from strength to strength. Yeah, I mean, you know... At the start of the week, there was that controversy over the maximum that never was. And, you know, so many times over the years, it seems that every time O'Sullivan is involved in any sort of big controversy, he goes on and wins the tournament. 2004 World Championship, he was involved in a number of controversies, went on and won the title. China Open in 2008, there was that controversial press conference he did after one of his matches, goes on and wins the next tournament, the World Championship. Walks out of the UK Championship in his quarter-final against Stephen Hendry in 2006, goes out a few weeks later and wins the Masters. And when he was involved in that controversy at the start of the Welsh Open, so many people were talking about it. You know, I just thought, he's going to go and do it again, isn't he? And, you know, it got so much mainstream attention, people who wouldn't even be interested in sport, never mind not being interested in snooker, they were talking about it. And you just felt he's going to go out and do it again. And it underlines that thing about maybe he can win at will almost, mm. that, um, you know, he gets this attitude in his head, I'm going to show you all, and I'm going to go out and win the title. And it's incredible the power he seems to have to do that. And he did it again. Well, that's the thing. People talk about his mental frailties. I'll talk about it a lot. But actually, you know, to, to have that strength of character, to... Put all that to one side, the fact that you're in the headlines, back page of one of the newspapers, and just go out and, as you say, win at will. That's, that shows enormous strength of character. Yeah, and that's the paradox of O'Sullivan, isn't it? That sometimes we do talk about mental frailties, and you know we've seen them so often in the past. But this was an example of you know where he could just decide to let his talent come to the fore. He was determined, and of course he had to show that in the final because he was so far behind. And made such a statement because people have always said Ronnie's the best player in the world. 
even when the world rankings have said otherwise. Neil Robertson, of course, has won a couple of major titles in the last few months, and there was a feeling that maybe if he could beat O'Sullivan over a long distance in a major final, then perhaps he's the best player in the world, even though he'd still only have been number three in the rankings. But O'Sullivan came back, won seven frames in a row, beat him in the final, and again, I don't think you'd find anyone now not to say O'Sullivan is definitely, quite clearly, and maybe as clearly as ever, the best snooker player in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable in the early rounds he's playing players down the list, they're going to be in awe of him because they're trying to get up the list to where he is. But when he plays the top players, they're already there. So should they be in awe of him? They shouldn't be. Um, I think some of them are. I think Neil Robertson is to some extent. I remember the year he won the World Championship. He was 11-5 down to Martin Gould after two sessions and he spoke after the match and he said, God, for those two sessions it was like he'd stolen Ronnie's soul. <laughs> and you shouldn't really have that level of admiration for another top player. You know, you're going to have to play in big matches on a regular basis. The one who I don't think does is Selby. And of course, look at the record he's had against O'Sullivan and he's got under O'Sullivan's skin so much over the years. But again, O'Sullivan seems to have changed his attitude to Selby, the result of which is he's beaten him in the Masters, mm. he's beaten him in the Welsh Open. It really has changed times, and that was the one big chink in O'Sullivan's armour over the last couple of years, was that Selby always seemed to be able to get him in big matches, and that seems to have changed now as well. Of course, it doesn't help the, the other players that Ronnie's pl still playing so well in every department. Yeah. Long potting, great, he made 10 centuries in Cardiff, safety game, good, focus, good. He probably had one you could describe as bad session in the tournament, and that was the first session of the final. But even though his game wasn't as fluent as it has been throughout the week, he stuck in there, stuck with Robertson, and then obviously improved at night. So at the age of 40, there's no sign of any decline. No, I mean, I think he's arguably as good as ever, really. I don't think any sign of decline at all. And the fact that he is finding a bit more consistency now. You know, he won the Masters, as we say, now he's won the Welsh. They're the only two sort of major tournaments he's played in. Uh, in recent months, okay, he entered the German Masters, but he didn't get as far as the stage where you would describe it as, you know, he's on the major tournament stage because he was beaten in the qualifiers. It's going to be fascinating now to see, though, can he carry this through to the World Championship? Because as much as I think he's got over, you know, his issues with Selby, I think the 2014 final still rankles with him. The fact that it was the first World Final he'd ever lost, he had a commanding lead, he ended up losing, and it was against a player who, you know, as we say, had got under his skin in the past. And I noticed in the run-up to last year's World Championship, he was saying some things about, oh, I'm not really looking forward to it. And, you know, then you saw what happened. He got to the Crucible. He was put under pressure for the first time, really, in the Championship, in the quarterfinal against Stuart Bingham, and played really, really badly. And interestingly, even now when he's playing so well, he's making similar comments about the World Championship well, again. Well, this podcast is nothing if not torn from today's headlines. And I was just reading, just before we started, that there was a thing in one of the papers this morning where he was saying that, I'm going to treat it as a holiday. I'm not really bothered yeah. how I get on. And Well, he will be bothered how he gets on. Yeah. But he's trying to take away some of the yeah. pressure, obviously, that he's going to be under because he is you know, the biggest star in the game. Everyone's going to focus on every ball of every match. And more so there at the World Championship because there be more people watching. And if it works for him, then why not do it? I remember him saying that 2008. He was around the time he was starting to get into running. I remember him saying, oh, you know, this, this tournament is just like training camp for me. I'm regarding this as a chance to get some running practice in. He said it even after the Championship. Nobody believes him for one second, but it doesn't matter because he can convince himself of that yeah. in his own head. I remember the Irish Masters would be 15 years ago now. It was played at City West. He was staying in the hotel, and I remember him saying, 
yeah, I'm just having a good time here and going to the gym here in the mornings and having a nice breakfast and just relaxing and just going down and playing my matches. He played brilliantly. He won the tournament. He beat no less a figure than Stephen Hendry in the final. If it works for him, fantastic. Well, let's let's go back to the start of the tournament because day one, I mean, the Welsh Open is actually a great event, very established event, but it doesn't yeah. normally get a lot of media coverage. Well, that changed this year Absolutely. on day one because, as everyone knows, First day, he's on for a maximum, and he decides to play for a pink set of the black, and he said it was his little protest against the fact that he thought the maximum prize should be bigger. I, my view on it was I actually think he should be charged with bringing snooker into repute, because he actually, the, I mean, he didn't do it for this reason. I think we should be clear about this. He didn't think, I'm going to get snooker on the back pages. But the, the incredible fuss it caused, the coverage, everyone suddenly had an opinion, people were writing things about it. It did the tournament a massive favour. Well, if they do charge him with bringing the game into repute, they should fine him £12,000, because he doesn't think it's that much money anyway. Yes, that would be quite a, quite a way to go about it. I don't know, I, I, I agree with that to some extent. What I would say is, all that publicity and all those people talking about the game, I wonder did it actually cause that many more people to watch it. Now, I know there were great viewing figures that you actually got on Eurosport for the final. I think that was more to do with the fact that there's a fascination with O'Sullivan anyway, and he's a great player. Um, I think a lot of the people who were talking about it will perhaps just move on. I suppose the one thing you would say is people who might be casually interested in snooker, it makes them aware that a big tournament is on that they might not otherwise have been. So that would be the thing. From my point of view, I thought, you know, I know it just sounds a bit sanctimonious or whatever, but maybe I am sanctimonious. <laughs> I think it, it, it is disrespectful, I think, to people who have paid money to come along and watch a match on a Monday afternoon. They would love to go away and be able to tell people they saw Ronnie O'Sullivan make a maximum. Because he's made, what is it, 13 now yeah. in tournaments? That's still a fairly small number of people in the world who can say they've seen Ronnie O'Sullivan live make a maximum in tournament play. And those people who were in Cardiff on that Monday afternoon would have loved that chance. And, you know, as a professional sportsman, you're meant to go out and give up your best. And that would be my take on it. I do see the other side of it as well. Well, yeah, I'd say three things. One, he didn't actually break any rules. You know, That's when you're, true. When yeah. you're at the table, it's your choice what to do. And he did clear the table. It's yeah. not like he just stopped playing. Two, I was really pleased that I gave up my blog because I'd have to churn out 600 <laughs> words of nonsense about yeah, it and I just yeah, yeah. couldn't be bothered with it. Yeah. But three, I think this is the point, really. It was kind of... And, and, and Ronnie's not alone in this. This is common with a lot of top sportsmen. It was kind of an act of narcissism, basically. He wasn't thinking about anything other than what I want to do at this moment. Yeah. And the thing about snooker players, in particular snooker, you've got to be so insular when you're playing snooker. You've got to shut everything out, just concentrate on what you're doing. But the thing is, a lot of these people are kind of like that all the time. Mm. You know, that's sort of their character. Hendry and Davis, you know, people always say you can't compare Ronnie to those two in terms of character. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> They were always incredibly tunnel-visioned. You know, the word selfish, I think, could be used at times. You know, absolutely concentrated on what they're doing, single-minded. And that, of course, is why they won so many tournaments. And I think after it all happened, maybe the next day, he would have seen the bigger picture. Yeah. But at the time, that didn't occur to him. I, th I think as well, what didn't help in some people's eyes was he didn't choose his words very well. No. You know, turning your nose up at all that money. Okay, you know, do it and maybe make your point in a certain way. But to, to talk about £12,000, a huge amount of money to most people. Life-changing for some mm. people if they had it. Well, certainly snooker fans, people going to yeah. Cardiff, I mean, that, that would not be a room full of people earning fortunes. No, well, I mean, people who are free on a Monday afternoon to, mm. to go and watch snooker, I mean, a lot of them maybe might even be unemployed or whatever. Mm. So I think, you know, that, that there's... I don't really think there's any excuse for being that insensitive. But I do see the other side of the argument as well. Yes, he's tunnel-visioned, and you have to be, certainly in a sport like snooker. Yes, it did maybe draw in some casual viewers who might not otherwise have known there was a big tournament on and that O'Sullivan was playing in it, because you know, a lot of the big tournaments he doesn't play in now. So... Overall, I think you can see both sides of that picture. One thing I would say, it was a great break. I mean, you know, yeah. I, know I know he could have played for the Black, but it was yeah. a fantastic break, yeah. and he kept up that form, and I think, actually, ultimately, it helped him 
go on and win the tournament. Mm-hmm. He gave him that, like you said earlier, that sort of drive to yeah. say, okay, you had a go at me, I'm going to show you. And of course, he came away with the trophy. Now, it, 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 because snooker moves so quickly these days, this seems like a long time ago, but just mm-hmm. before the Welsh Open, he was in the papers. Hector Nunns, our friend, did a, a couple of stories about the World Championship, and Ronnie. We already know he doesn't like hanging about, and basically he says it should be cut back. The final should be one day. The tournament should last, say, a week. Cut it all down. I'm guessing you don't agree with that. Well, you know, not least because he'll probably, if they did do that, he'd be the first to say, "Oh, you know what? Why don't we bring it up to three weeks?" <laughs> he said, actually, he was on Eurosport with you guys in Berlin, and he said, "Oh, you know, it's just become a bit of an endurance test. What's well, meant to be an endurance yeah. test? Yeah. That's a big part of the World Championship." And, you know, if you want to cut it down to a very practical level, OK, so you reduce the World Championship to the format he wants. It lasts a week. TV pay half as much. Sponsors pay half as much. You can only sell half as many tickets. The result of which? The prize money get cut, gets cut in half. Who would be the first player to complain about that? Ronnie O'Sullivan. Mm. You know, so you've got to see the bigger picture. You know, we've talked about this a number of times over the years, that players, you know, they, they talk in sort of ideological terms about it. They don't understand sometimes the commercial realities that go behind these things. And, you know, it's such a great shop window for the game. And there's that horrible cliche again. But two weeks of snooker endlessly on BBC and Eurosport and other television channels around the world. You know, it's the one time in the year, apart from when Ronnie does something like turn down a maximum, when snooker is massively high profile. It gets young people interested in the game. A lot of sports don't have that shop window now because their big events are on satellite television. Why on earth would you want to cut that in half? How, how would that be any good for the game? It's funny, though, because you're right, and a lot of people would, would make that argument, but it's, it's amazing the number of people who you, you mention, oh, yeah, the World Championship should change, and they say, no, no, you can't do it. But then in the next breath they say, but I've always thought the second round was too long. Mm. Although they say, the semi-finals seem too long. I mean, I personally think the semi-finals are, are too long, but as Neil Robertson said, it's been the same test for every world champion, yeah. really, in the TV age, from the early 80s to now, Apart from they actually lengthened the semi-finals, which is, was an act of lunacy. But but apart from that, it's been the same for everybody. So you you're, you're tested not just against your contemporaries now, but against everybody who's, who's ever won it, who's ever played in it. Um, and like you say, it, it kind of works. It's a strange format. I don't think if yeah. you were put it, setting up a tournament today, you would set it up like this. But there are three groups of people who the format is tested against. Broadcasters who put money in, sponsors who put money in, and the paying public who put their money in. And if they like it then that is a test of it. Frankly, what the players think is irrelevant. It's their job to turn yeah. up and play. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, I don't think there's any great groundswell of opinion in favour of what O'Sullivan mm. was saying anyway. I mean, if, you, if you're a top player and you practice so hard for the World Championship and then you lose in a best of 11 to a player who you know you're far better than, you're going to think, oh, you know, I, I, I could be him. This is the World Championship. You know, it should be more of a test. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's always been. Too much meddling with the game in recent years. And I, again, I understand the reasons for that because you're absolutely right. It's broadcasters and sponsors who decide these things, but I still don't like the way certain things have been meddled with, even if that is the reality. But also, but also win, but winning it is the ultimate achievement, and he's yeah. won it five times. I mean, to win that tournament five times is incredible. Yeah. It's so hard to win once. There's so many great players who've yeah. never won it, and he's won it five times. I know, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't. The, the thing about it is, I don't think it's going to be one of these things that becomes a big talking point because I don't think there's any great. Uh, you know, level of agreement with what I was saying. But the great thing with Ronnie is that was a big talking point, but then he replaced it with about three others last week. Well, exactly. And this is the other thing, isn't it? You know, I suppose, I mean, not everybody likes the sort of Ronnie O'Sullivan show, as it were. Not everyone likes the soap opera. And I I guess the only problem is, I mean, he does put Snooker on the map. He does it brilliantly. But most sort of newspapers, certainly in the UK, he's the only person they want to talk about. It's like everyone else doesn't exist. And I suppose if he's not in a tournament, then, you know, you don't get any coverage, basically. And you wonder what will happen when he's not playing anymore. 
you know? I mean, we all talk about nobody's bigger than the game, and, and I do agree with that, because, you know, Sullivan misses a lot of big tournaments, and, you know, there's still great tournaments. The UK was obviously an example just before uh, Christmas. But I wonder when he's gone for a long time, you know, which he will eventually be. Mm. Personally, I think that day's a long way off. But then again, in all seriousness, will newspapers even still exist at that stage? You know, there might not be any newspapers around to ignore the game. But I mean, it was interesting last week. Um, BBC and their sports news bulletins, they were reporting mm. on the Welsh Open and showing pictures. There was a good deal more newspaper coverage than there usually is. So again, there's yeah. no denying it was all because of O'Sullivan. A lot of it was terrible though, wasn't it? Because yeah. what happens is, and this, this is the same with any story, once one media outlet decides it's important, yeah. all the others do. And there were a couple of pieces, well, let's name them, there's one in The Guardian, there's one in The Independent, and they were both from opposite sides, one had a go at Ronnie and one was sticking up for him, and they were both full of factual errors, and also yeah. that sort of sneering tone that, you know, snooker basically is not worth talking about, but because it's Ronnie and because we've been told to do it, we're going to churn out sort of 400 words on it, just sort of this sort of, I've written it down here, sneering broadsheet columnist, so I've actually written that on, on my notes here, yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of... You know, and, and the world, when the world championship comes around, you know you're going to get the there are no characters in the game, yeah. Bill Werber, and all that, all that sort of stuff that we've read so many times before. That's the other side, isn't it? It's not, you know, you think all coverage is great. Sometimes it's not really. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, <coughs> absolutely. I mean, you know, there's not a lot to say about that because I mean, I just couldn't agree more. And it, it's it's just the tiresome cliches mm. they get trotted out every single time. It's funny now how some of these pieces harking back to the Halcyon days. Uh, refer to when Ronnie made the maximum against Mick Price in five minutes at the Crucible and oh they were the good old days it's not been the same since but that was 1997 people were writing pieces oh, yeah. then yeah. saying yeah. oh you know snooker's not the same anymore yeah. 20 years from now again if there are newspapers <laughs> still around they'll say oh it was great back yeah. in 2016 wasn't it when Ronnie O'Sullivan turned down that maximum it's, they're easy pieces to write if you're ignorant yeah. and you're basically you're sat in the office you've been told to churn out 400 words you go on Wikipedia you know, you churn it out, you don't have to do any sort of proper research or think about it. Uh, and, and also these people, they seem to blame like the other top players for their own ignorance. The mm. fact that they've never sat down with, say, Stuart Bingham and found yeah. out about him. That's Stuart's fault. That's not their fault, apparently. I know, I know. Because, because he's not Ronnie O'Sullivan. He, he, he can't be easily looked up on the internet. It's the only sport that gets treated like that. Yeah. I mean, even darts, you know, people knock that as well, although now everyone wants to be seen to be behind it because it's this massive, massive success. But, you know, it's the only sport that seems to have to justify yeah. its existence. Yeah. And it's incredible, you know, so much in the media now, you know, so many people like to see them. You mentioned The Guardian there, and, you know, people who write for these papers, they like to see themselves as great liberals. Mm. If you're so liberal, just let people enjoy exactly. snooker and yeah. not tell them that, oh, actually, you know, you shouldn't enjoy it. I know far better. Um, it's well, a the very point is, you, you, point is, you are allowed to write a piece about snooker without having a go at the sport. Yeah, Without yeah, saying, yeah. well, it's on its knees, because it's not on its knees. And quite clearly, you know, we've got a full circuit, yeah. prize money's up, there's a, a real buzz about it. I was just in Germany where they absolutely love it, yeah. China's coming up and all the rest of it. So it, it's a fact, it's not on its knees. It's, it's thriving like it never has done. But they've just decided that that's yeah. not true, and they're going to write their knocking pieces. But the fortunate thing is, people pay less and less attention to newspapers true. nowadays. And that's only going to continue while snooker, as you say, continues to thrive around the world. Mm. OK, well, let's move on to... You've written a piece about Stuart Bingham, who... Yeah. who he's not the forgotten man of the year, but he's, you know, he won the World Championship, and, of course, there's an expectation then that you are going to press on, and certainly you're going to be, his results are going to be scrutinised. Yeah. And I think he's found it difficult, because a lot of the matches he's played this year, say at the Welsh, he lost to Anthony Hamilton. Now, a year ago, that would not have been on television. That would have been maybe table three, four, and he sort of out of the way. He might have won that, possibly, because he, there wasn't the scrutiny on him. But I think he's finding it hard to deal with the fact that now everyone is watching what he's doing. I think, from talking to him, I met him, and, you know, he's, you know, you know what a great lad Stuart is, and we talked away for a long time. You know, I think he's got that in his head more than it's a reality. 
reality. I think all the top players are being looked at. All the players probably being scrutinised more. Sullivan, as we say, Selby because he's world number one. Maybe even Robertson a bit more because he's been around so much and achieved so much. I think Stewart has got this in his head. And I said that to him in the interview. I said, but do you think maybe you've inflicted this on yourself a bit, this pressure of expectation? And I got the impression that, yes, he knows he has, but now he's kind of in that cycle and he can't mm. break out of it. And it's, it's extraordinary, I mean, the run he's having now. I mean, this, I don't know exactly, but it must be the worst season he's had mm. in quite some time, coming off by far and away the best season he's ever had. But as we know, of course, it doesn't necessarily follow through that you're then going to go to the World Championship and flop. Because up until now, perhaps the biggest example people would have given of a player surprisingly winning the World Championship and not being able to build it the following season was Joe Johnson. And he came closer than any other first-time champion at the Crucible to retaining his title. He's got a couple of tournaments left, maybe, Stuart, to try and start turning things around now. But as well as that, I got a sense with him at the same time, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I think he's very happy with yeah. what he's achieved. So he should be. He so he should be, 100%. <laughs> he's won the World Championship, which, you know, you wouldn't really have said he was likely to be. Yes, he still wants to go on and achieve things in the game, and, you know, I think he also wants to make his financial future secure, um, which, you know, maybe have an opportunity to do more than ever now as a top player. But I got the impression if someone said to him, Look, Stuart, you've won the World Championship, you've won two other major ranking titles, you've won the Premier League, you've been on all sorts of big occasions. You know, are you going to be happy now? Are you going to be delighted with that if that's how your career ends? I get the impression he'd absolutely say yes. And I think there's maybe an element of that as well. Even if I'm not saying he's getting complacent and that he doesn't want to achieve anymore. But again, as we discussed with him, it's like he achieved his goal, he achieved his lifetime's dream. And now there's almost a slight sense of anticlimax. It's slightly flat. It's like, well, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? But of course, he could battle his way out of that. And all it takes is a couple of good performances to turn it around. But it, it was very interesting talking to him about that because I think he's struggled with the mantle, perhaps more than anybody has mm. in the past. But of course, it's different to say Mark, when Mark Selby won it. Mark was 30 when he won it. Yeah. And already an established winner of big titles, there was a sort of expectation that he might win it. And then there was an expectation that he might win it again. Whereas Stewart, when it, when he was 38, wasn't he, last year when he won yeah. it? So he's nearer the end of his career than certainly the start of his career. And in a way, it kind of... I think almost doesn't matter now what he does because he's world champion. He's on the most famous trophy the sport will ever see, and he's done it. And once you've done that, uh, you know, uh, particularly at that age and, and that stage of his career, does it really matter now what happens? He can just kind of enjoy himself, can't yeah. he? Oh, listen, he'd love to add a UK yeah. and a Masters, of course he would. But yeah, I mean, the World Championship is the be all and end all. And I wonder if, I don't mean this as any disrespect, I wonder if deep down, he doesn't feel realistically it's going to happen again. Mm. It took him that long to win it once. Played brilliantly to win it, as he pointed out. You know, in the piece, the players he beat. Yeah, he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, the best player in the world, in the quarters. Then he beat Joe Trump, the best player of the season in the semis. And then he beat Sean Murphy, uh, the best player of the tournament in his eyes. And I think people would agree with that in the final. But maybe there's a feeling. Only five players have won more than once at the mm. Crucible. Is Stuart Bingham likely to get into that bracket? You would have to say probably not. Maybe deep down. He knows that as well. He just has to redefine his expectations and his objectives. And maybe if he loses at the Crucible, uh, you know, his mind will be freed a bit more to perhaps sit down and reassess uh, you know, where he goes with the rest of his career. I don't think it's just expectations. It's also his sort of routine has been interrupted because you know, he's in demand to do a lot of things. He's been on Question of Sport, Claire Baldwin Show, all these sort of things, exhibitions. He's done a lot of exhibitions. So it's not like it was maybe last year where he would have a set routine, I go to the club at this time, I practice for this amount of time, suddenly people are ringing him up for interviews, yeah. and he's not been used to that because he's, he's been a foot soldier, hasn't he? He's been a loyal servant to the game, he's turned up, he's shown up, but he's been kind of in the background. Even though he's won tournaments, he's never been necessarily 
known as one of the star names, but now he's world champion and he's expected to sort of be the world champion and act like the world champion, and that takes some getting used to. Yeah, and maybe he's a little too nice a guy as well, mm. you know? I mean, he loves the game so much. We all said that with the world final last year. You couldn't find two players yeah. who loved the game more in the final than Bingham and Murphy, and, and maybe he's just kind of let himself... Uh, you know, be taken away by that a bit, and it's been very obliging, which obviously I was pleased with because he yeah. agreed to do the snooker yeah. scene interview. Um, but I got the impression from him that you know he has enjoyed that, and you know it's not massive things, just things like you know getting fancy seats for Southend United in the playoff mm. final, being on a question of sport, being on chat shows and things like that. I think he's enjoying his year as champion in terms of what's happening off the table. And again, why not? You know, mm. it's, it probably won't happen to him again. Well, let's finish then by talking about the World Championship because it's only a couple mm. of months away. Yeah. It's very, I think it's harder than ever to sort of say who you think is going to win because I think actually because there's so much snooker now, the World Championship, because it's a different format, as we've, as we've mentioned, it's, it's sort of like completely outside of the norm. You know, we're used to the short matches, the best of sevens, the best of nines. Because it, it's such a long event and there's such a build-up and focus on it, it sort of exists on its own, doesn't it? Yeah. So what's happened for the rest of the season? It's not, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but you can't necessarily say, well, because he's the form man, he's going to win. It's less relevant than it used to be. You know, very often it used to be the case. You could go yeah. through the season and say, right, who's won the most tournaments? Mm. They'll probably win the World Championship. Because there weren't many. There weren't many. <laughs> and generally that was how it turned out. Mm. But it just it's so different now. And look, you've seen what's happened uh, over the last 10 years or so. Well, slightly more than 10 years. Sean Murphy won it. He was ranked 48th in the world. Graham Dot won it. He had never won a ranking title. Stuart Bingham won it. Uh, Judd Trump got through, okay, he didn't win it, but he got through to the final, uh, having come in as a qualifier. Mark Selby did the same. Uh, Graham Dott, indeed, did the same in 2010. He came through the qualifiers. You know, again, it's a cliche to say it becomes more open and more predictable every year, but, but it's true. Mm. And the thing is, as well, you know, the fact that last year we saw a player like Bingham, who wouldn't quite be in that top grade, coming through and winning the championship, but he played absolutely brilliantly yeah. to win it. I mean, well, it's like Joe. Joe Johnson yeah. played the best snooker of his life for those two weeks. Yeah. I mean, if you were to go through all the years of all the world champions and rank them, say the, what is it, 39 winners at the Crucible, and to rank them in order of how well they played uh, in the year that they won it, yeah, Bingham would be very high up that list. Mm. So, um, th and they're all capable of doing that now. The standard last year was unbelievable. You look how well Neil Robertson played, and he got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Mm. So, listen, we could sit here and preview it all day, and we probably will once we get to the venue. Well, I was going to say, we can't, because we're going to Cromden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but ultimately, like, I mean, how do you call it? The one thing I will say is, and you know, I think even people who don't know much about snooker will say this, that if O'Sullivan is on this form, he will win. I, mean, yeah. I, I think he will. I th I'd almost go as far as to say that. I don't really see how he wouldn't win it if he's on the top of his game. Yeah. And the signs will be there, though, won't they, in the early rounds? We'll see what kind of mood he's in. Well, yeah, Ronnie's, Ronnie's in a strange position. He's both a sort of wild card and the favourite. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like a weird position. He's, he's yeah. like the maverick, but he's also the best player. Yeah, yeah. And listen, if, if, he's, if he finds his game and his head is in the right place, listen, what would be the smartest thing he could do? Go there and get in a controversy after his first round <laughs> match. You know? And then we should all lump on him to win it. But the interesting thing, the fascinating thing for me, will be to see... Um, how he reacts to what's happened to him at the World Championship the last couple of years. I did feel maybe what happened against Bingham and the way he collapsed in the final session there was a reaction to what had happened against Selby the previous year. It'll be interesting to see now, has he managed to put that out of his head in this, the first time we see him under pressure in this year's championship. The thing about the World Championship, and people will, will make their arguments about you know, how it's going to pan out, you can disprove pretty much every argument. Because some people will say, you know, 
you, you've got to play like constant match play to be fit going there. Well, Ronnie won it a few yeah. years ago, having not played at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Equally, people will say, don't overplay because you get burnt out. Yeah. He beat Barry Hawkins in the final, who turned out to play more matches than anybody that season. Yeah, so yeah, it, it's just, yeah. it is just kind of... And that's, in a way, why it's going to be so interesting. It's not like it used to be where, basically, you turn up and you pretty much know... Hendry's going to win it. You know, he was playing so well. It, it, you know, maybe a couple of people will get close, but basically he's going to win it. it. It's fascinating now because, like, if we'd have sat here a year ago, we probably wouldn't have said Stuart Bingham's got a, no, got a great chance, not. even though he'd won yeah. the tournaments. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. someone like that can come through the pack, can't they? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting, though. You know, it's not as if as you know he came completely out of nowhere, no. even in the in in the run up to it, because he was playing really well. Mm. If you actually look at his results running up to Sheffield last year. So there's a lot of tournaments coming up in the next few weeks. Um, obviously the Players' Championship, the World Grand Prix and the China Open. That, I suppose if you were going to have a bet on the Championship, it'd be very hard to pick a winner. But maybe that's the way to do it. See who's getting to quarterfinals, mm. who's getting to semi-finals, who's maybe coming into form. Don't back the guy who wins the China Open or maybe even wins the World no. Grand Prix before it because it's so hard to win back-to-back -back tournaments nowadays. Look at the guy who's maybe bubbling under and having good results like Bingham was uh, in the springtime last year in the run-up to the Championship and then put your money on him. And then, well, take your chances really. Uh, from there, but well, I mean, yeah, come on. well, I was going to say a, ca a candidate there is Judd Trump, who, who's playing. Yeah. He's playing well in matches he's losing. I mean, I'm, I'm against Joe Perry the other day. He played really well. Yeah, at the Masters, he played really well. He's not quite getting, you know, to, to the end of tournaments. But that's not to say that, of course, there's still time for that to happen. And yeah. you know, I think you do need stamina at the World Championship, and he's about the right age to certainly to last the course there. Yeah. It's remarkable to think how young he still is. I mean, mm. 26, it's five years now yeah. since he got to the final. It's incredible to think. You look at Bingham winning it for the first time at 38. I mean, how much time does that give Trump to become world mm. champion? Which, of course, takes a lot of pressure off him because it's not like a case of, right, it's now or never. I mean, with Bingham last year, he must have had a bit of that in his head. If I don't win it now, mm. I might never win it. And it was maybe a little bit the same with Selby the year before, although he was a lot younger. He'd been in the final before. He'd taken seven years to get back to it. But Trump, he, he's not going to have that pressure at any stage. He knows he's got years and years to win the World Championship. So, again, we'll watch his results over the next few weeks. So if I was to put a gun to your head, and that might become a feature on this podcast, um, pick a winner. Of the World Championship. Yeah. It's funny, just before I do, you know, a couple of years ago, you could happily make that call now yeah. because there probably wouldn't be more than one no, yeah. tournament to yeah. come before yeah. the World Championship. I do like Trump's chances. I would say it's going to be either him or Robertson. Okay. So you're discounting Ronnie after, after everything I'm not, I'm not discounting him. No, <laughs> listen, I've got a gun to my head yeah. here. Yeah. I've got to say You'll something. say anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do think Robertson has a fantastic chance, just you know, the dedication and desire he still seems to have, despite having done everything in the game. But I suppose, you know, if you are holding that gun to my head, I'll go for Trump. I'll go, because I thought... He played really well in it last year. Um, a little bit unfortunate maybe in the semi-final. He just got a bit bogged down early on and ended up losing a match that we all expected him to win. Um, so, yeah, let's go for Trump. I'd love to see Judd Trump win it. Yeah. I, th I do think uh, Mark Selby as well, because obviously last year he had all the curse and all that in his head, yeah. but he's not got that now. And, and you know, he's... Obviously a very clever match player. We shall see when the World Championship comes round. Thanks for listening. There'll be more next week. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye. We've got to go to Crondon Park. Can't miss that. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.